You're listening to an event from the U.S. Institute of Peace, part of the USIP Podcast Network. For more information about our work around the world, visit usip.org and check us out on social media. Hello, and welcome to the United States Institute of Peace. We are delighted to have you with us for today's discussion of Taiwan's recent historic elections and what they mean for Taiwan, the Indo-Pacific region, and beyond. My name is Jennifer Statz, and I'm the director for East Asia and Pacific Programs at USIP. For those of you who don't know us, the U.S. Institute of Peace was founded by the U.S. Congress in 1984 as a national, nonpartisan public institution working to help prevent, mitigate, and resolve violent conflict around the world. Now, we have a lot to talk about today with respect to last Saturday's presidential and legislative elections in Taiwan. So I want to get right to it. Uh, and I'll start by introducing our moderator for today's event, Dr. Evan Medeiros. Evan is the Penner Family Chair in Asia Studies in the School of Foreign Service and the Kling Family Distinguished Fellow in U.S.-China Relations, or excuse me, U.S.-China Studies at Georgetown University. He previously served for six years on the staff of the National Security Council as director for China, Taiwan, and Mongolia, and then a special assistant to the president and senior director for Asia. And perhaps most importantly for today's discussion, he is also a senior advisor with the China program here at USIP. So thanks again to all of you for joining us. And without further ado, Evan, I turn things over to you to introduce our speakers. Thanks. Great. Well, thanks, Jennifer. Uh, good morning, good evening, good afternoon to everybody. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Evan Medeiros, professor at Georgetown. Very, very excited to have uh, two wonderful speakers from Taiwan uh, <clears throat> with us today who are going to talk about what happened with the Taiwan election and what it means for geopolitics and specifically U.S.-Taiwan relations and China's relations with mainland. Uh, let me introduce our two speakers. We have Vincent Chow and Chen Dongso. Uh, Vincent Chow is currently the Director of International Affairs at the DPP and was the campaign spokesman for DPP President-elect Lai Qingde. So he lived this election 24 7, 365. We're very lucky to have Vincent. He's an old friend of ours. Um, importantly, in addition to being the spokesperson, he was recently elected as a member of the Taipei City Council, uh, which we're really interested, Vincent, to hear a little bit more about. Um, I live in Washington, D.C. If working for the Taipei City Council is like the Washington City Council, um, you clearly have your hands full. Um, he's got a very, very interesting, distinguished career. He was the political director of the Taipei Economic and Cultural Representative Office uh, of the United States. Um, he served as the chief of staff to the uh, foreign minister, Joseph Wu, and also the chief of staff on the National Security Council. So we're very, very lucky to have Vincent. He mixes the worlds of politics and foreign policy. We are just as fortunate to have Dr. Chen Dong-so, who is a professor of political science at National Taiwan University, he was the foreign affairs advisor to the campaign office of Ho Yoi, who ran for president in 2024 from the KMT. And he also served as director of mainland affairs at the KMT from 20 to 2021. And he was the president of the Prospect Foundation for many years uh, as well. Uh, he is a very distinguished and uh, widely published scholar uh, in Taiwan at National Taiwan University. Um, and so, as you could as I'm sure you could tell from their bios, we've got a DPP representative, we have a KMT representative, but most importantly, we have two very thoughtful interlocutors and intellectuals from Taiwan who, uh, who are here to help us understand what happened in the Taiwan uh, election um, and what it means for global politics. So, uh, Vincent, in no particular order, I'm going to go to you first. Let's just talk about politics before we talk about geopolitics. So, Vincent, what? give us your take on the election. What happened? What's important to know? Well, first of all, thanks, Evan. Thanks, for, um, what, thanks to the USIP for holding this event. It's late here in Taipei, but we're so happy that we're doing a live event and between two political parties as well, because it's a great opportunity to share thoughts and perspectives following what was a very, very important election here in Taiwan. And let me start by saying this. I mean, this was a true show of democracy. I mean, we had um, a very fair campaign process. Uh, we had each political party share ideas and in different policies to solve political parties come together 
on various uh, geopolitical issues and cross-strait defense. I mean, particularly on defense, there was a strong consensus on the need to increase our defense deterrence, which for me personally was very, very welcome because I think it's the first time I've seen such strong convergence on this issue. But aside from that, it was also, I think, a strong message to the international community that the Taiwanese people are firmly on this path of democracy and, and we will continue down this path for um, years to come. So with that, all of that being said, let's get into the topic, which is what were some of the key takeaways politically from the election? And, and you're right, Evan, let's not get into cross-strait first because that's going to dominate the message going forward. But let me start with this. We ended up with a result that was in line with poll predictions, which is that we won um, the presidential race, but then we did not secure a legislative majority. And it shows to a certain extent that the people, I mean, uh, the majority of the people, or, or the most you know, amount of people supported the DPP's policies going forward. They supported the DPP's track record of achievements in the past eight years, but they also want strong checks and balances in government. And they handed a mandate to the legislature, uh, to the opposition there, to suggest that they should play a more vigorous role um, in, in working with government to bring different perspectives and ideas forward. So that was a strong takeaway, which is that there was a mandate that was quite clear. I mean, it wasn't a very, very close race, actually, on the presidential side. There was a clear mandate for President Tsai and the DPP to keep governing, but there was also a mandate given to the opposition to say, you need to play a bigger role on the checks and balances component. So that's the first part. The second part is that... The KMT's message on cross-strait was not something that was supported by the majority of the Taiwanese people. And it was actually how surprising how, I think, how, how, how uninspiring it was to many Taiwanese people. And, and I, I loathe to get into election um, issues, but I think this one deserves a bit of discussion on, which is that it does seem like the people of Taiwan, you know, are walking firmly on this path that we've been on, which is that there's convergence on this idea that we are already a sovereign independent country, uh, formerly called the Republic of China. There's no need to, of course, declare independence, but neither are we going to go back to this path of convergence with Beijing on different political, economic, and social issues. And I mean, the messaging that was in the last phase of the campaign by former President Ma Ying-jeou to DW on how people should trust Xi Jinping and that Xi Jinping uh, was not making progress on what was not desired, uh, or did not want, did not push forward on this issue of unification, all of that. I mean, that was just a message that was in the last pages roundly rejected by the Taiwanese people. And in fact, many people within the KMT had distanced themselves away from it as well. So that was the second takeaway, which is just how, uh, just how the, the Taiwanese society seems to have moved on from this message that we've seen consistently in the past, particularly from the KMT. The third idea that the takeaway was that this was an election that wasn't just about cross-strait. And cross-strait played a part, yes, and played an important part, but it wasn't the nominating part. And I would say the dominating part of the election was really on the myriad of social issues that we face here in Taiwan, ranging from high housing prices to... Uh, to salaries not keeping up with inflation, cost of living, and many of these issues that are faced by advanced democracies and economies anywhere in the world. But certainly in Taiwan, you know, we're reflected acutely because the DPP has been in power for eight years. You know, we've held all levers of government, at least on a central level, for eight years' time. And there are expectations that the DPP needs to be making more progress on this. So let me end by saying this. There will be no honeymoon period for legend. I think we realize that. I mean, it's we, we ran on a campaign to say that he is a steady, experienced pair of hands and that he, he's going to be able to hit the ground running. And the Taiwanese people are, are going to come to expect that. So we're, I mean, it's a two-year cycle for elections. So we're going to have another election in 26. And so there really isn't any time to waste. We saw um, the TPP, you know, increase its um, votes dramatically compared to the past. We saw a lot of enthusiasm for them, particularly young people. Um, and, and we know that we're in a race against time to show that we're able to make progress on many of these social issues that are faced by the people of Taiwan. So let me end there by saying, again, it's, it wasn't about cross-strait. It was partially about cross-strait, but the elections were about so much more than just cross-strait issues uh, this time around. Thank you so much, Vincent. 
typically articulate, comprehensive. Um, so let me ask you one question. You started out by saying that you believe that this election was a mandate for the DPP. But there are other political commentators that say um, president-elect lie won with only 40% of the vote. So it's anything but a mandate that 60% of the people of Taiwan did not vote for the DPP. And in fact, were you know, frustrated with the last eight years when the DPP controlled the levers of power. So a uh, question for you is, how do you respond to that very common critique? And secondly, um, what, do you, what do you think it is that the 40% the of the people voted for? And what do you think the other 60% of the people want that they're not, that, that, that they didn't think they could get from the DPP? Well, great two questions. Let me start by saying this. I think, I mean, it's a democracy and, and unfortunately it's a winner takes all system. And so the, there, there is just legitimacy, um, connected obviously with whoever wins the election with the majority of votes and Lajina did that. And I mean, the same argument could be made that for example, 75% of people did not support, uh, 65% of the people did not support the KMT, you know, 70% of people did not support the TPP. I mean, these arguments can be made, but the fact of the matter is that, you know, we received the most out of any political party or candidate in this election. And that in any democracy, um, obviously gives, um, the president like the mandate, uh, to move his agenda forward. So that's the first part. The second part, I think we achieved 40% on two aspects. The first aspect, I mean, Taiwan was polling. Okay. In the last stages of the election, like she wasn't polling badly, like we saw Mindjo did, for example, in 2016, when the polls were about 79% single digits. I mean, she was polling about 30s to 40s the entire way through the election. And that shows to a certain degree that despite the DPP being in power for eight years and fatigue being associated with that, there was still a strong record of achievement to fall back on. Economic growth, GDP growth, over 30%, minimum wage, over 40%, stock market has doubled, unemployment at record lows. I mean, I could rattle off numbers all day, but the fact of the matter is that there are a strong record of achievements to point back to. But the second part is that I think people see as Taiwan faces a myriad of different geopolitical challenges, whether from across the strait, uh, whether in terms of geopolitical rivalries around the world and great power competition, whether in terms of global economic trends, that a steady and consistent pair of hands is necessary. And Lai is the only person of the three that has central government experience, that has been vice president, that has been premier, that has worked on all of these different issues and has basically built his message on steadiness and consistency, particularly on cross-strait and many of these difficult issues that we face. And, and he's gone, gone and again and again on the record saying that there are things that President Tsai has done very, very well throughout the years, and, and that will be continued. For years to come. And so I think that message resonated with many people. Now, let me end by saying this, that um, the DPP didn't get 60% of the votes, as you mentioned, Ivan. Uh, and, and that's not necessarily a reflection on DPP's cross-strait international economic policies, but that is a reflection that on a number of different social issues, you know, we may have not done well enough. Um, and, and I mean, no government's perfect. Everybody, anybody that says any politician is perfect or any government policy is perfect is going to be lying, obviously. And, and of course, there are areas that the DPP, you know, needs to do better on. And I think that was a reflection of that. So we've been given a mandate to work as fast as we can, you know, to deliver results as short as we can. And if we're not able to do that, then we're going to face a lot of problems down the road, particularly in 26 and 28, when voter fatigue is going to be even higher than it is today. Um, so, but nevertheless, we are going to make the most of the time we have to try to put forward uh, a vision and results for Taiwanese voters. Vincent, thank you very much. Um, that's a very thoughtful, articulate way to understand what the Taiwanese voters were voting for. So, uh, I'd like now to talk to, uh, to turn to, um, Dr. Chen Dong-so, uh, who is a, uh, very famous political scientist in Taiwan who worked for the KMT. And Dr. So, I sort of have the same question for you. Um, you know, the question of uh, what's your take on the election, right? How should we interpret the DPP victory, right? Vincent says it's a mandate. 
others, you know, their their other opinions. So let's. We I love your take on on politics in Taiwan. First of all, I think the mandate to DPP is a discounted mandate. Uh, it's only 40%. What I, I would like to uh, address with regard to Vincent's um, note that uh, people reject KMT's uh, cross-trade policy, I don't think that's a valid uh, uh, claim because uh, Vincent seemed seem to say that uh, uh, KMT, uh, uh, the President Ma's remarks, President Ma's uh, interview with uh, DW was rejected uh, by most of the people and also was uh, alienated, was kept distant even by uh, KMT. So it uh, seems to me that uh, Vincent did not say anything about the, the substance of KMT's claim uh, in cross-trade uh, policy. In fact, KMD actually uh, put, uh, conveyed two messages in cross-trade policy. One is uh, that that uh, one is to uh, resume dialogue with uh, the other side across Taiwan Strait uh, based upon ROC constitution, and the other one is that uh, KMT is uh, opposing uh, Taiwan independence and also. Uh, one country, two systems. So I think these two claims are not rejected. In fact, I th I think I would like to say that um, cross-trade uh, relations is the topic that is hotly debated in the in the campaign, but it is not the uh, determining or a critical factor in. For the the final result, uh, it is because that the, the DPP had tried to portray KMT as a pro-communist party and KMT's position as conceding the country's sovereignty, but that does not resonate, as there is an, almost nothing that can relate Miracle to communist authority in mainland China. Similarly, KMT had tried to illustrate the danger of lies, independence, leaning position as it could lead to war. However, much less people believe that a war is imminent than those who don't believe so. So I think uh, this is not the determining factor for me. Uh, the determining factor are several others. Uh, first of all, government integrity. This has been discussed intensively, and there are cases involving possible corruption, such as government procurement of the COVID vaccine supplied by the uh, Madigan vaccine biologics and the project of solar photovoltaic systems in Tainan. Tsai administration's approach of national champion in industrial development is under serious contestation. In addition, the possible corruption cases are also accounted for by domination of the new tight faction within DPP. So Mayor Ho's proposal of re-establishing special investigation division does attract wide attention and uh, resonation. That VP Lai obtained an unprecedented low rate of the vote. 40% despite being elected can be explained by public outrage over these possible corruption scandals. I would also like to add another important factor uh, that is the, the economic issue as uh, Evan just mentioned. Uh, the economic issues are, are not put in spotlight in debates between the candidates. And these debates are on the candidates' performance while being mayors. For example, social housing. How many uh, social housing are, were built uh, by the three candidates while, while they serve as mayors? And also, uh, for example, when it comes to nuclear power plants, uh, the question is not is not on uh, the value the value of nuclear power, but on who caused the termination of nuclear power plant. So these are not uh, I would say these are important issues, but these are not debated hardly, and this is not this these are not a determining factor for the final result. Uh, nevertheless, it doesn't mean that the economic issue does not matter. On the contrary, the poor economic, uh, the poor economy last year cultivates a wide sense of relative deprivation. That is why VP Lights expanded family house without a license catch wide attention and harsh criticism. So can be said to the dorm building owned by Mayor Ho's wife. And this plays some part in accounting for the election results. I would also please go ahead. 
yeah, if my time allows, I will ask. I will add the last last factor, which is uh, Cohen's phenomenon. Um, uh, Kurt's appeal to rejecting both the blue and the green resonated strongly among the population, especially the young people. After the breakdown of the KMT-TPP negotiation for a joint ticket, Kurt's uh, supporting rate had been down to the level below 20% for a month or so. However, uh, after TPP organized a relative a number of successive uh, a number of successful rallies, firstly in Kaohsiung, later in Taichung, and finally in Taipei. Uh, the excitement of Kurt's supporters is boosted and spread, and so is supporting rates. Some of these rallies actually are organized by one key supporter to Han Guoyu KMT's presidential candidate for 2020. In the eve of the election day, many blue supporters were thinking that Kurt could win the election. And so I think this accounts for his unexpected showing uh, in the e election re results. I think Kurt's uh, vote, uh, I think Kurt uh, uh, successfully grasped uh, votes from both the blue and the green camps. And some will say he, he's, he affects the green camp more than uh, the blue camp. So I think his phenomena is something to watch for the next several months or even one or two years before the magistrate election in yeah. 2006. Thank you, Chandong. Uh, similarly articulate and comprehensive. So question for you. Obviously, you laid out a lot of criticism of the DPP, but of course the KMT lost. So what's your view on why did the KMT lose? Uh, I, I think there is a wide consensus among the KMT leadership that we need to work uh, harder to uh, attract uh, young voters. We do. Uh, I think. Well, I, I think it has to do with the approach. Probably not about the con the substance. I think KMT uh, works very hard to develop policies that could uh, support the the young generation. However, I think the young people probably pay uh, as much attention to the approach or the style than to the substance. And I think this is a weak link in the KMT, uh, in KMT uh, politicians. Uh, KMT politicians tend to be conservative. They are very uh, prudent in delivering their ideals. I think this um, does not uh, resonate among the young generations. I think this is the first thing that people have a uh, uh, high consensus. What what the leadership does not have consensus is whether to uh, whether to work with TPP, I think there is there are two opinions. One is that the KMT should work even harder to uh, obtain cooperation from the TPP, so that the joint, uh, so that the, the both parties, uh, both parties can form a joint ticket, and that could win much easier. Uh, but there is another opinion. The the other opinion says that uh, TPP is the a dangerous threat to KMT. So KMT should uh, reject that ideal from the very beginning so that the voters, the supporters, the KMT supporters could rally behind uh, any, not any candidate nominated by the party. So they, these, these are still debated. So, but I don't, I think can, both- Can I ask you, you said it's still debated, but of course the KMT and the TPP tried to come together and right. in a very pretty dramatic public display, it, it all fell apart. Right. So right. you're saying there's still a conversation about after post the election, whether or not the KMT and the TPP can come together, even after it was very clear that the two candidates were, weren't able or interested. I think the debate is on what the KMT should have done to form a joint ticket, whether the KMT should try other way to, to form the joint ticket. I think these are the opinion uh, supplied by those who believe that uh, a joint ticket is the, the only way to, to win.
However, as I said, there are also people who argue that TMD should reject that idea from the very beginning. What do you believe? What's your position in this debate? Uh, it's a hard question to me. Yeah, but I would say, uh, at least KMT should try even harder to appeal to uh, TPP supporters. That's the first thing we need to do. We have to have a, a wider. Uh, uh, we, ha we have to have a wider scoped conversation with the young people, with the uh, the the swing voters, and we have to have a a, a clear uh, a roadmap with regard to what we are going to do if we if elected uh, as a ruling party. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So. I'd like to talk about politics uh, one more cycle between both of you. So uh, one issue we haven't really touched on is the dynamics in the parliament, the legislative UN, the LY. Uh, Vincent, how do you interpret the results and how do you think uh, the LY is going to function? No party has a majority. The TPP has enough votes to caucus with either DPP or KMT. So do they become, does the TPP now become the kingmaker? Um, how, do, how do you interpret, how should we understand LY dynamics? That's a great question, Ivan. Uh, Evan, but before I get into it, Evan, I uh, do think that it, I would do our audience a disservice, but at least not by, by at least if I don't respond to at least some of the allegations that were made against the DPP, because this isn't a moderated debate and we're here to talk about policies. But I do think that we do have a higher threshold for truth when we're dealing with, for example, an international panel, uh, rather than appearing on CTI or TVBS or, you know, pen, closer to pan green television stations here in Taiwan. I mean, the idea about the vaccine supply, you know, possible corruption, that was mentioned a number of times, and none of those is any truth. I mean, up till now, there has been no lawsuits filed on this issue. There has been nothing that has been ruled by the courts. And I think this is why, again and again, this, the, 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 the tactics throughout the election just weren't successful because they just weren't based on truth. I mean, the truth of the matter is just that just in the past two days, we've seen lawsuits against that, that were successful against a number of KMT spokespeople, including uh, one of them from Taoyuan, uh, making false allegations against our Minister of Culture. We've seen uh, a Minister of Agriculture. We've seen Another lawsuit against somebody that was working against uh, with the KMT narrative to spread uh, false information. This person was just released from detention. I mean, the, these are the points in this election that were tough because so much of the rhetoric was just not based on truth. And truth should be a guiding principle for any democratic election anywhere in the world. So I'll stop there. But 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 I, I did feel a need to respond to that because we do have a higher threshold. The election is over. <laughs> so Pardon? the election's definitely over. So let's, right. we, we don't want to sort of take this in the direction of a election you know, debate. But I'm glad you made your points. But yeah. uh, let's get to the issue I talked about, the LY. Let's get to, about the, LY. let's get to the legislature part. The legislature part is going to be quite interesting because while the TPP holds eight seats, it's really like they hold 80 seats uh, because they will hold the balance of power in the legislature and they will be able to control um, major pieces of legislation. And that, that, I think, gives them quite a bit of power. Vincent, did uh, you say the DPP or the TPP? TPP, the TPP. Okay. The yeah. TPP has eight seats, but it seems like they have 80 seats because that's yeah. they do control a lot of power in the legislature right now, both in terms of the agenda setting, but also in terms of uh, priorities and the pieces of legislation that may end up being passed. And so I guess the question you're getting at, Evan, would be how do you, how do you work past that um, to, uh, <laughs> to actually ensure that we do have good pieces of legislation that's passed? And I think what we'll see in coming years are a couple parts. The first part is that the TPP will continue to exert independence. I mean, they're going to try to avoid a trap that has befelled almost every single opposition party here in Taiwan. Uh, I mean, smaller political party, which is number one, the, 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 the test of personality. Can this um, political party survive past the personality of one leader? Um, and that's always a challenge we've seen ranging from the People's First Party uh, to the new power party, to all of these different small political parties. But the second shop, the bigger one, is being seen as an associate 
of a larger political party. So what we say in Chinese, xiao lan or xiao lu, small blue, small green. So I think they're going to have to exert their independence to show um, that they are independent and that to avoid falling into the traps I mentioned earlier. And as a result, this may in some parts bring opportunities, but in other parts bring challenge. So opportunities part, I don't think they're going to tow a KMT ideological line, even if the KMT does choose to work for it, uh, work with them. Um, but at the same time, in terms of challenge, you know, it's going to be, I mean, I think they're going to see things through the lens of what makes political sense for them and what is in their political interest as a political party, um, not necessarily uh, in the interest of what may be the best for the government at the time. So again, that's sort of the situation going forward. I do hear, this is quite interesting, Evan, you get a kick out of this. I do hear in, a, in the DPP itself, I hear voices sometimes that people would rather work with the KMT. Uh, than the TPP, because the TPP, and for many pan-green voters, had represented betrayal in the past and represents, I think, um, ideals that certainly um, DPP grassroots supporters aren't necessarily supportive of, um, namely an inability to have one clear position on cross-rate or on any of these other national identity issues. And so we'll see how this goes. I mean, it's February 1st. We still have a couple of days and certainly this is something that's been discussed by legislative leadership right now. But I do think there will be opportunities on specific issues to work with both political parties going forward. At least I would hope that is the case. Great. Can I ask you one, one quick follow-up, Vincent? Um, so you think the DPP will have no problem caucusing with the TPP to get legislation done. And question is, is where do you see their interests most commonly intersecting between DPP and TPP? Well, I, I wouldn't go as far as to say that there is a possibility of caucusing, but there is certainly a possibility of having robust discussions on what makes sense and making progress on those issues, because that's what any responsible government ultimately needs to do. We can't have eight years of no legislation passed at all uh, with each political party sticking to their guns and no room for compromise. I mean, that's just not an effective way to govern a country. So that's first of all. Isn't the president second four years, though? Pardon? Isn't the president's term four years? Yeah, maybe I should have said four years, but I guess the ideal would always be, yeah, <laughs> right. the ideal would always be ultimately that we do well enough for a re-election. Uh, okay. But I guess the second point would be in terms of um, what makes sense in terms of working together. And like I said, I think the TPP is going to look at it, and they're not here today, so I'll be very circumspect as I say this, and and, and I'll be balanced as I can. Which is, I think they're going to look out for their own political interest. They're going to look out for their political branding, uh, but they're also going to look out. Uh, for ways that they can show that they're will, able to work across the aisle. Because we can't forget, having this idea of the unity government was one of their kind of main campaign planks. And if they deviate too far from that, I don't think it's a great look for them going forward. And so I think they're going to try to find ways of working on specific piece of legislation that they are interested in and makes sense for them. And I think from, you know, certainly I'm speaking in personal capacity right now because I'm not part of the legislature. But I think legislative leaders are going to have that discussion in terms of areas that are potentially that people can potentially cooperate on. I, I have no doubt that discussion will take place soon. Thank you. Chandong, want to bring you into the conversation to get your reactions and in particular your take on the LY. How's what's the KMT's strategy for the LY? Uh, what do you think is possible? What should we expect? Um, so welcome your your thoughts. Uh, thank you, Evan. Uh, first of all, I think this time around, uh, KMT uh, sent uh, a number of young bloods, new bloods into uh, LY. And among all these uh, uh, legislators uh, whose age are under 40, I think uh, 60, uh, I think most of them are from KMT. So um, I, I, I think KMT. Uh, the new blood, the the, the new blood uh, of KMT legislators would first of all uh, propose bills that are friendly uh, or favored by the young people, so that it can uh, uh, 
rebrand KMT as a party uh, close to the young generation and also to, to support the young generation. I think the first that's the first thing that I, I, I learned about. And secondly, I think KMT would uh, try to work with TPP on important uh, uh, reform for the LLY itself. Um, the TPP, uh, I think several days ago, TPP, uh, one TPP legislator, would-be legislator, uh, said that uh, he proposed, uh, I, I think this is a caucus-based uh, 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 claim that the TPP would uh, push for reform, including to uh, strengthen the legislator's power to punish officials who reject to provide documents to the to LY and also to uh, to uh, push for a disclose of the uh, speaker's uh, personal uh, purse uh, in its public uh, uh, in its in, in its dealing with uh, its uh, uh, business in LY and also uh, it uh, proposed to strengthen the process of uh, uh, nominating officials, no nominating important uh, um, officials such as the the uh, control yuan uh, members of the control yuan, or uh, like like say the NCC uh, uh, NCC uh, commissioners. I think these are the organs, uh, the government agencies that are under uh, strong criticism by the public because these. Uh, organs, government organs, especially uh, NCC, who that is that are supposed to be independent agents, but uh, are considered as just uh, part of the DPP government. So uh, they take orders from the uh, prime minister, and they do not do things independently. So that's why they 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 propose these reform bills. And the KMT has already said the KMT caucus has already said that the KMT caucus will support this proposal. So I think uh, along this line, we can see a possible cooperation between TPP and the KMT. Interesting. Chandong, who is likely to be the Speaker of the House? Okay. Um, DPP caucus will, will uh, support uh, Yu Xiquan, uh, the former Speaker of the House. Uh, but KMT will support Han Guoyu, uh, the, the can, uh, presidential candidate for 2020. Um, but given the fact that KMT has uh, 20, uh, 52 seats plus two friendly seats, uh, so if TPP does not support uh, either KMT or uh, DPP, KMT will win over the seat of uh, the speaker. Got it. Well, thank you both. We're sort of um, coming up on time. I want to be respectful of your time since it's late in Taipei. Let's let's get to cross straight. Chandong, implications, your top three implications of the election for cross straight. Okay, first of all, uh, DPP gets the certain that's uh, unprecedented, that's uh, unhistorical. So, uh, the man in China must be frustrated, uh, definitely. Uh, but secondly, um, the, in the LY, no party gets uh, a simple majority. So uh, it can be interpreted as the majority of the people want to have a better relationship with the man in China. Given the fact that TPP also takes a, a pragmatic uh, approach to man in China, uh, when it comes to cross-trade relations. And the Cohen's uh, even said that both sides across the streets belongs to one family. So uh, I think that kind of rhetoric seems to be uh, welcomed by mainland China. So this is the second message. A third message, United States will become critically important in cross-trade relations. I think the importance of the United States will become even higher. Uh, why? Because um, the president-elect, uh, William Lai, would, uh, has no... Uh, up to this point, uh, has no uh, has no way to find to 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 restart uh, dialogue with uh, with mainland China, and so the only 
possible way for for him to manage cross-strait relation is to work with United States. And also he does not have a full control over LY. So he needs United States as uh, to as for as his back to work with the LY. So on these two fronts, I think uh, Taiwan will work even closer with United States. And also because uh, the, the, the mainland China, the, the, the communist authority does not have any way to, and does not even want to do that uh, with uh, president-elect line. So uh, United States is their leeway uh, to control the situation. To put all this this change under control, yeah. But so that's why you're saying you you predict stability in cross-strait relations, but no improvement. But you also expect U.S. Taiwan ties to continue to expand. Is that is that a fair summary of your position? Yeah, but I want to add one more point. You just you you give me three points, but I want to add the fourth. The fourth Please. is that. Uh, U.S. Taiwan co cooperation will be on a very tight rope because any lift in official contact could face a harsh response from uh, Beijing. So uh, even even though the two sides will work uh, close uh, closely, but the way of uh, the way in which the cooperation uh, goes will be in a very cautious. Uh, manner. Okay. So Vincent, same question over to you. What's your take? What's your take on the implications for cross-strait? You heard Chandong would welcome the DPP perspective. I think we're um, coming at a point, Evan, where Beijing really makes needs to make a decision on whether they want to be a responsible, pragmatic stakeholder for peace. Because I'll start with Lie and 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 the the DPP and Lie has made very clear throughout this campaign again and again that we are the party of the status quo, that we will maintain the status quo. We will continue to four commitments President Tsai Ing-wen laid out in 2021. Uh, we will continue the ROC constitutional framework as was enunciated. And, and remind um, everybody of the four commitments from President Lie. No, oh, that's a good one. Uh, the, well, the four commitments at this time at 10:43 p.m. in Taipei. My brain may be a little bit hazy, but uh, I'll give okay. the general. Okay. I don't want to I'll, I'll give the general overview. That's that's fine. Um, but the the gist is that number one, that our commitment to a free and open, uh, our our commitment to a free and democratic constitutional order. The second part is that the PRC and the RLC are not subordinate to each other. Um, the third one is that we will resist efforts to. Uh, annex us or enroach on our sovereignty. And then the fourth one is that the future of the ROC must be decided in accordance with the 23 million people of Taiwan. So, you know, you can tell I've done my homework on this issue, Evan, but the That's fact is that this is impressive. a very important policy uh, for us. And this is why that we're committed to getting all of this right. And again, I wanted to refer comments on January 13th to the ROC constitutional framework that President-elect Lai Chindo has laid out, you know, showcasing fully um, that this is a party of continuation, that it's going to be administration of continuation. There's going to be no surprises. There's going to be every effort to be a responsible, pragmatic stakeholder here in the region, based, again, on, number one, having no provocations against the other side. The, number two, also standing firm for our principles and values. But number three, having our doors open. Uh, and we're committed to doing that. I mean, Blah has said on the campaign trail that you know he'd love to be able to sit down uh, with anybody um, based on parity, dignity, but Xi Jinping in particular, you know, in the sense that this is a dining companion that he had mentioned. But I mean, kind of the half kidding aside, it really does show that we do want to have some sort of relationship with Beijing and we do believe that it's conducive to do so. So with that being said, Evan, the, the key point again is that Beijing also needs to make a decision because it takes two to tango. And do we continue down this road of confrontation that really I think is putting it's is setting them back more and more in terms of their interest of winning the hearts and minds of the Taiwanese people. I mean, if the goal is to win the hearts and minds of the Taiwanese people, you know, having diplomatic switches like Nauru, you know, uh, which is seen by the people of Taiwan as penalizing our democracy, you know, efforts to pressure Taiwan diplomatically, economically, in terms of the military situation. I mean, all of this is completely counterproductive to bring the two sides closer together, you know, but 
However, if there is an opportunity for both sides to be able to sit down together and think about kind of a way forward, I think that would be the most ideal scenario because ultimately we all have a role and a stake here in peace and stability. And let me end by saying this, that I think what Beijing often gets wrong is that the DPP isn't driving this trend of Taiwanese identity forward. The DPP reflects that trend. And I can say that with confidence because if we look at the National Zinzi University National Identity Polls, which have done consistently for past decades, you know, the, the increase in Taiwanese identity um, actually took place the most under President Ma Ying Zhou between 2008 and 2016. And the increase during those eight years was actually uh, more pronounced and higher than increased during President Tsai Ing-wen between 2016 and 2024. So the idea is that if Taiwanese identity, identity is going to increase under a KMT administration as well, it's no longer about party politics. It's really about a reflection of the current situation that we're in across the strait, which is the two sides are not subordinate to each other, which is that Taiwan does have growing recognition and awareness and com a commitment towards our democracy, and that we do see the values of the people on both sides that's drifting further apart from one another. So if, if Beijing can recognize those trends, then hopefully they can also recognize the utility uh, of at least having some sort of exchanges and discussions with Taiwan so that we can jointly manage the situation here and also maintain peace and stability in the region. Thank you, Vincent. So, of course, China-Taiwan relations is a part of the equation, an important part. But also, there's Taiwan-U.S. relations. And under President Tsai, uh, sorry, yes, under President Tsai, we saw a pretty uh, substantial, consistent expansion in U.S.-Taiwan relations. In particular, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi visited, uh, McCarthy wanted to visit, but then ended up meeting with President Tsai in in. Uh, you know, in California. Los Angeles. Yeah. yeah. So I guess my question for you is, so what should we expect from the DPP in terms of their relationship with the United States? Are you looking for more House speakers to visit? Certainly our Congress is very intensively focused on the Taiwan question, bigger, better arms sales. Uh, President Lai, yeah, I think struggled with defense reform a little bit. So what should we expect on that side of the equation from the DPP? I think very strong joint efforts to maintain peace and stability here. And peace and stability that's going to be achieved, number one, through robust deterrence, but number two, also through policy consistency. And I think those are going to be the two main planks that we're going to see going forward. So, for example, on the deterrence part, there are two, really two parts in deterrence. The first part is the military component, and, and we're absolutely committed to that. So we've seen, for example, our defense spending go from 1.78% to 2.5%. We've seen new capabilities come in. We've seen conscription go back up from four months to 12 months. You know, that has to continue in earnest, and that has to continue in lockstep with the United States' efforts to also strengthen deterrence, as well as those from regional partners and allies here. So all of that, again, is designed to have a military angle to it, so to say that we must never give an opportunity for Xi Jinping to wake up one day and decide that today's a good day and that he has the confidence levels that are requisite to engage in a contingency scenario here. So that's number one. Also, not do anything that would provoke him, that would force him to wake up and realize, oops, maybe I need to do something that I wasn't planning to do. That's the other, the other part of the equation. Well, so it's all based on risk and cost. And so the risk and cost of him taking action must be astronomically high. The risk and cost of him not taking action must be astronomically low. And there are two components to that. So we talked about keeping the risk and cost of military action high. You know, we're also committed to keeping the risk and cost of not taking action very, very low because he faces, obviously, domestic pressures. He faces a legitimacy issue. He faces the, the historical mission of the rejuvenation of the Chinese nation. All of this is going to create risk and cost for him of him not taking action over time. And we must ensure that we lower that, which is why we've maintained the status quo, which is why we're committed to a policy of consistency, and which is why we've committed to no provocations while maintaining our principles and values. So that's the first deterrence part of it on, on a defense component. But the second part is really working with international partners and allies as well. And this administration here in the U.S. has been very, very strong. And, and, and engaging with Japan, Australia, and, and Europe, sure. and G7, sure. and countries and allies around the world to jointly support peace and stability here. And that brings variables 
to the equation. And again, that through variables, you create risk and cost, and therefore they turn. So that's, so I think, I, I need to make sure forward. that we give Chandong an opportunity and, and the, cl- the clock is running out. So if you wouldn't mind, Chandong, what, what's your take on the implications of, you know, of where cross-strait is going to go in light of what, um, you know, what, what Vincent said? Do you see the DPP being able to manage ties with the mainland? And do you see the DPP, you think it's a good thing for, you know, it, uh, you know, Taiwan to continue to expand its relationship with the United States. How would you respond to Vincent? Uh, I would say I hope the DPP can successfully manage the cross-strait relation so that peace and stability across Taiwan Strait can be maintained. Uh, but I am a little bit worried that uh, DPP um, does not really address the critical issue in cross-strait relation. That is to abide by the, the ROC constitution. I, I just mentioned that uh, dialogue based upon ROC constitution uh, are the way cross-strait dialogue has been conducted in the past. So um, I think there are two things that I, I would like to add. First of all, uh, in during Thai administration, I see a tendency by the, the uh, uh, I see a tendency by our government to, to place cross-trade negotiation as a precondition for cross-trade people-to-people exchange. I don't think that's good for cross-trade relation, neither for Taiwan's good, because uh, people-to-people exchange across Taiwan's trade is uh, important for the both sides to enhance understanding uh, with each other. And that could lower the tension, that could increase the hospi- hospitality. So uh, I hope that in the future, uh, in, the, in, in, in the upcoming uh, Lai administration, the government can work more, work harder to, 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 to expand the space for cross-trade people-to-people exchange, no matter what the other side does um, in political or uh, military aspects, um, firstly. Secondly, I I, I want to let you know, we only have about six minutes left, and I'd like to get to a question. So let's just... um, uh, secondly, I hope that in uh, in U.S.-Taiwan relations, I'm hoping that the Lai administration, the upcoming Lai administration, will pay more emphasis on, on substance rather than on the the uh, the, the the appearance. Uh, so the, whether uh, when I say appearance, I mean the uh, uh, the level of officials uh, for uh, in in bilateral contacts, uh, whether it's uh, speakers to come or whether it's a name of the office. I don't think this is this matters that much. At least it's not as important as the substance, uh, such as the quality and the quantity of arms sale, such as the the level of bilateral military cooperation. I think these are critical things for Taiwan's security. Thank I you. completely agree. And one, I asked you to maybe you could respond very briefly. So one of the big issues, of course, is whether or not uh, in the legislative UN they will be KMT, KMT support for DPP special budgets to fund arms sales. And do you believe the KMT is prepared to support those special budgets? I cannot speak for the, the, the KMT caucus, but I think there is a consensus among KMT leadership that enhancing defense is the first and most important thing for Taiwan to to ensure our security, and so, but but I I think DPP okay. should work very hard to make sure that there is no worry about the corruption uh, in those bills. Yeah. Yes, of course, nobody wants corruption. Yeah. Um, okay, so we only have about five minutes left, and and I'm very mindful that it's very late in Taipei, so I want to end on time. Um, so we have several. Excellent questions from our listeners today. 
Uh, I'm going to give you two in each uh, and ask each one of you to respond briefly. Uh, first question. Um, can you comment on Nehru's decision to de-recognize Taiwan and opt for China? Was this a deliberate uh, effort on the part of the PRC? And what does that uh, mean for cross-strait relations going forward? Second question is about Taiwan-South Korea relations, that the Yoon government uh, welcomed the result of the Taiwan election, and the Yoon government is much more, I guess, uh, you know, s sort of um, skeptical of China. So what do you foresee in Taiwan's relationship with South Korea? Uh, Vincent, uh, to you first. And again, we only have five minutes left, so let's let's be as tight as possible. I'll make it very brief. On Nauru's decision, I mean, obviously it was politically motivated. The timing of it, I think, um, makes it very clear that this was a, a decision that was designed to undermine and hurt our democracy and to also penalize Taiwan for engaging in a democracy that had results contrary to what Beijing may have wanted. So it's unfortunate that our diplomatic allies continue to be used as political pawns by Beijing. And certainly we don't think that this is a welcome development, whether from the terms of Taiwan's international space or just good governance around the world in general. So that's the first part. The second part in terms of uh, South Korea relations, that's actually very interesting because this is an, I think, an area of quite large potential. I mean, we're starting from quite a low baseline in terms of that relationship, but there is a lot going on already right now behind the scenes. The economic trade volumes I've seen are just astounding. The connections in terms of supply chain linkages are, are very, very strong. And so I think if there's an opportunity for South Korea to speak out more vigorously uh, for um, regional peace and stability and to work with the United States and other partners to show that there is a common stake in this region, I think that also builds deterrence here and ultimately contributes to the peace and prosperity that all countries in the region need and would ultimately support. Shandong? Um, I, I think the the decision to take away uh, Nauru from uh, ROC's um, uh, diplomatic relation is, uh, uh, is not legitimate and uh, unnecessary. Uh, but what worries me is that uh, are there other countries uh, in the pipeline that uh, the PRC is uh, prepared to take away? From uh, from ROC, and I think these are the things that are the incoming government should be prepared for, and also to to find ways to to stop that. And secondly, uh, in Taiwan U.S. Taiwan South Korean relation, I think bo both countries have a strong uh, semiconductor industries, and both countries are uh, supporting U.S. Uh, French shoring policies. So we both countries should work together on this front, so that our semiconductor industry can can continue to grow. By, at the same time, can also uh, be a strong partner to U.S. semiconductor industry. Thank you. So we, let's see, we have two minutes left. So I'm going to give a, a minute to each one of you for your, your final parting shot. Vincent. Well, thanks again, Evan and friends from USIP for doing this again. I think, you know, international support for Taiwan's democracy is absolutely appreciated and absolutely critical for maintaining peace and stability here. Um, we're so happy um, about the confirmation again of the Taiwanese people in terms of our insistence and determination to maintain our freedom, democracy, and way of life. And I think as I'll end on one note that our president-elect Lai Chino made, which is we do look forward to working across party lines. We do, do look forward to coming together in unity uh, for the good of our society. And we do look forward to making progress on many of these issues that we face together as a nation um, and together to find a common way forward. So I'll stop there. And again, say thank you for holding this event. Thank you. Chandong? Yeah, I would also like the uh, USIP for inviting us and for holding this uh, event. And this is a very uh, good one. And I would also like to say that uh, I want the, um, I want the in, uh, incoming line administration to uh, realize that uh, KMT and TPP both uh, the opposition parties are not barriers to Taiwan's strengths. They are assets to Taiwan's strengths. Especially, despite that, we have the KMT has a different approach to cross-strait relation uh, and to the main to to the mainland China. But if used uh, smartly, that could uh, uh, add up uh, to the government's. Uh, uh, policy tools so that uh, the cross-strait relation can be managed even better. 
So I, I, I'm hoping that uh, the incoming government can bring the country together, including the two opposition parties, so that we as a country can uh, strengthen our standing worldwide and also to, uh, to, make, to ensure that Taiwan is safe and secure. Well, I think we can all agree that a Taiwan that is more politically unified, a Taiwan that is more safe, secure, and resilient is good for the people of Taiwan, uh, and it's good for the world. So, Dr. Chandong So, Vincent Chow, thank you so much for joining us. Um, this has been a wonderful conversation, an important contribution to the international um, debates about Taiwan's future. And um, perhaps as we get closer to the inauguration in May, we can have you back and have this conversation once again. Thank you both. Thank you to everybody joining us today. Thank you for listening to this event. If you'd like to listen to more events or explore our other podcasts, visit usip.org forward slash podcasts.